Welcome to Wellness Spring, Louisa. I'm so happy to have you on the show today. And I'm absolutely delighted that our lovely communal friend, Tanya Castillo, connected us together. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. It's, it's lovely to be here. And yes, very, very grateful to the lovely Tanya. She's beautiful, isn't she? <laughs> oh, she's like a breath of fresh air. She's absolutely stunning. Mm. Beautiful soul like yourself. And so dear guests, well, dear listeners, my guest today brings us the magic and the everyday with a practical blend of astrology, channeling, and subliminal, subliminal coaching. <laughs> that was a tongue twister for me. <laughs> she'll, focus, <laughs> she'll focus you around self-healing the right mindset and futuring. She'll tell you what you don't know yet, but what you need to know to save you time, effort, heartache, and money. So Louisa, there was a lot of things going on there, lots happening. Could you please tell us about your background, your upbringing, and what led you to be the amazing astrologer and the creator you are today? Oh, thank you. Um, oh, I don't know where to start. What's, what's the best place for me to start? Where were you born? Oh, um, right. Um, in the southeast of England, um, in the mid-70s. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up, you know, with a loving mum and dad, with one sister. Um, a very sort of normal background, really, um, and, and very loving. Um, but I just grew up with this sorry my mic's a bit funny um I grew up with this like really strong um curiosity about the world and also this feeling that um everything was magical um you know so like looking at plants and animals and things like that I used to get quite overwhelmed um and uh, I used to hear things and see things which I thought everyone could and and that actually wasn't the case as it turned out um uh, you know, early on, my parents were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's all made up. Um, and, and, and so really, my, my childhood is really sort of like typified with knowing that there was magic in the world, but not really being able to express it or articulate it. So I spent most of my life learning how to find myself able to do just that. So um, it's, 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 it's been an interesting journey. Um, <laughs> I mean, I just uh, had a very sort of like normal education and um, I favoured arts and philosophy and religion. So everything that's kind of about expressing beauty or expressing faith in some way. And I, I don't I've never really considered that I have a faith, um, but I've always believed that there was a God, you know, and I've always seen evidence of that around me, you know, in in the form of seeing auras around trees Um and so I had a position to study fine art and philosophy at university. Um, and then I, <laughs> but before I asked you to go, I had a dream. Um, and in that dream, my late grandfather came to me and, and just kind of gave me this poem. And it was so strange because the next day I woke up and I just knew I needed to, I knew I needed to leave the UK. I knew I needed to go to France and I knew that everything was going to be okay. So um yeah, uh, I said to my parents, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm going to France, I'm not going to university, um, can you drop me off at the, at the ferry? <laughs> and um, they're like, what? You know, I was 18. Um, 
but I intuitively like, made my way through France and, and found myself to safety um, and just enjoyed living out there for about five years. So it was it was super cool. <laughs> and it just all kind of follows on from there, really kind of just following the next intuitive clue. And and, yeah. and now I'm living in Portugal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so um, I'm sure your parents would have freaked out when you said I'm not going to university and drop me off there would have been like you know or maybe she's um, having pre-university nerves or you know what's going on here mm -hmm. how did um, they accept it because I'm sure they wouldn't have been very happy because um, I know yeah. you say in education a normal education but you know, I know you're homeschooling, so it depends on your version of normal. I know in France they do a lot of homeschooling. Yeah, um, I think they were pretty shocked and horrified. I mean, I mean, what fascinated me was like I went to a grammar school in in um, the southeast of England, and um, so I grew up with people telling me that I was like the cream of the crop and I should go to university, and that if we go to university, we'll have um, an assured career and all, all this kind of stuff. Um, but I always felt very um, sort of disenchanted with the idea that um, if you are sort of intellectually seen as the best, that it leads to some kind of praise and, and glory. There was something about it that just felt really off. And, um, and I also didn't know what I wanted to do at that time. So I didn't see the point in studying for you know, I was going to choose fine art and, and philosophy because it felt the most akin to my personality, but I couldn't see how that was going to help me in a job. Um, and so I, there was a bit of resistance there or a lot of resistance. Um, but even though I went to this sort of very good school, my mum and dad, neither of them had gone to university. Um, and so they were talking that I should go to university like it was the thing. They realized it was a possibility for me, um, but it was not part of their culture. Um, and so, you know, where I had friends being hothoused by their parents, dropping them off at university at the weekend so they could go and have a look at all these different places and possibilities. My mum and dad never did that. Um, so I, I didn't really think they were that invested other than the fact that maybe their child could go to university, if that makes sense. But they were they were shocked and disappointed that all of a sudden I, you know, just chose to up sticks and, and leave. I think it was very sudden for them. Um, you know, I gave them one day's notice. Um, <laughs> which is very sudden. I mean, I've got um, a 10-year-old, a six and a, a three-year-old, so I've got all this to come. <laughs> but um, I know that I would be very shocked if my children were to do that. Um, however, um, you know, it, 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 it had a happy ending. You know, it's, it's, it's been great. But like, you know, as my dad dropped me off at the ferry port, his last words, not like, have a great time. <laughs> it was like, why can't you be normal? <laughs> And so, um, you know, at the back of my head, you know, like when I did sort of head back to the UK, I was I was feeling very emotional about going back home. I actually was in the UK for about three or four days before I even went home. I was staying with friends because I just felt um, a sort of like pressure from my dad's emotionalism, you know, at the time. And I can understand why he was emotional. I was his first child and just leaving and they didn't understand what was going on for me. Um, what I recognize now as a parent is that, um, I think culturally we don't have to get on with our children um, like, like for instance 
instance, we would like to live in three generations. You know, we'd like to live in a household with um, more connection with our family. And we've just had um, my uh, mother-in-law staying with us for just shy of three months. It hasn't quite worked out as we're expecting, but we are open to continue to sort of like practice until we get it right. But what I notice about um, my parents' generation, my husband's a bit older and his mum, you know, they've raised us as if they don't expect us to live nearby. Um, and there are these huge amounts of no-go areas, you know, like the, you know, the conversation between parents and, and their children can exist between this bit here, but you can't go beyond that. And if you do, you're being disruptive. Um, and, and so I just realized from an early age, there were certain limitations, you know, as much as I was idealistic about wanting to be able to talk to my parents about anything, um, you know, when I've shared certain things with them, it, it's freaked them out. So <laughs> it's probably informing how I am as a parent and, and why we, one of the reasons, just one of many reasons why we cho choose to currently homeschool, obviously, if they change their mind, then we'll, we'll do what our, our children are, are wanting or, or what they need. But right now we, we're doing it all we can to foster closeness so that we can have these conversations um, and that we're open to them. You know, uh, so who knows? We we never know how it's going to go, do we? So <laughs> exactly, especially in the current climate, you know, everything is uncertain. So I guess you know the only thing we're certain of is change. And, yeah. Um, before I carry on with what you were saying, I'm curious to know what did you do in France while you were an 18-year-old traveling for all those years. <sighs> Well, um, I was very lucky. Um, we'd, we'd had quite a few trips, um, like camping and staying in, in um, uh, like in tents, um, like for Euro sites and Euro camp. So there, there were self-drive camping holidays. And so I made my way to one that I'd stayed at previously. Um, so I knew that there were toilets. I knew there was a bar. I knew there was a beach. And, and I didn't know why I was heading there. Um, I used uh, my necklace um, and sort of like made a pendulum over the map of France. So when I arrived in France <laughs> at 18 and like, uh, like burst into tears at Calais, um, thinking, oh, my God, what have I done? Um, I just took my necklace off. I, was, I heard this kind of calm voice of my granddad. I heard the poem that he'd recited to me, you know, in my dream and held my pendulum over or my necklace over a map. And um, it just pointed in the direction that I already knew. So um, I booked a ticket on a, on a train um, and took the first step and got to Paris. And then, you know, while I was there, I, I, I um, chatted to a guy who said, okay, your next step is to go this way. And he said, and, and because you're doing it on your own and because it's so expensive during the day, you must travel at night. So he saved me about 30, 30 euros, or it wasn't even euros, then it was francs, but um, he, he's, he saved me quite a bit of cash. However, um, as I was stuck in Paris for five hours, um, I actually ended up spending that on whiskey, <laughs> but, you know, we learned. So I had these, I mean, um, we, you have all these like experiences, don't you? And, um, you know, I, I look back at some of the experiences I've had and, and I, I just give thanks for them really. You know, um, I, I was very lucky that, you know, I, I met all these little guides by the side and, and I hope really, you know, through the act of my my existence that I'm a, a guide by the side for other people as well so you know I think wherever you are whatever stage in life you're at there's always there's always somebody nearby 
who just has that little piece of information, a bit like um, one of my favorite um, books, uh, which I read really early on was the Celestine prophecies. Mm. And in that, you know, people go on this um, magic adventure and, you know, the moment they get that feeling that oh, that seems familiar, that's, that's, you know, that's when I sort of think, okay, there's a, a clue for me here somewhere. And, you know, the next clue emerges and then, you know, where you're going. So I, I, I had this very strong clue as to where to head. And then the day I arrived, <clears throat> sorry, it's 7am here. So I'm a bit croaky. Um, um when I arrived on this campsite and sat I I used their toilets and had a shower and and freshened up went for a coffee at the cafe there were some reps um from a British company and I I overheard them saying oh we've lost a member of staff and this that and the other and I got chatting to them and the next thing I know they're saying well you know we've got this we've got this tent free for a week um you know until we get a replacement member of staff um do you want to do it and 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 so like every step of my journey was was like that I just followed my heart and um and I was provided for so um that's literally as easy as it was um and I, I yeah I had some moments where I thought oh my goodness surely life can't be this simple um and and now looking back I can't even begin to remember how simple it was almost because we get bogged down with ideas of jobs and where the money's coming from and running a car and this that, and the other but as an 18 year old with just one hold all I didn't even pack a, a sleeping bag I mean that was crazy like when I look back you know I went out with a radio uh, pads some stamps so I could write to my family some makeup I think two three changes of clothes and that was pretty much about it so <laughs> bonkers <laughs> But we've had similar backgrounds, upbringings, because my parents were the same as yours, and I went to a grammar school, and I sabotaged going to university, and I just didn't travel, so um, (laughs) it sounds the same. And um, can you tell us how you got into channeling and then on to astrology? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess I've always been a channel, um, and um, when I was about... 11 and I started getting pocket money I and I was very studious and uh, and a bit of a loner you know I didn't really fit in with my own peer group so when I got um pocket money rather than going spending it on sweets I walked to the bookshop <laughs> and picked up um uh, you know I was just looking for some kind of self-help or something I don't know um, and I found this compendium of um, intuitive arts. And so it was, it was like this Bible that um, spoke about astrology, it spoke about um, cards and palm reading and things like that. And so I started to piece together my birth chart. And at the same time, I started to learn how to read palms. And, and so the two of them grew at the same time. So like my mom and dad had um, a very, and still do have a very strong community around them. And so I remember things like going to Alton Towers on a works day out for my dad. And there there was like this coach full of 60 odd people, you know, and I I went up the aisle reading palms to practice it, you know, so I was quite confident and wanted to give it a go. And, And a strange thing happened. The more I practiced, the more I realized that I wasn't really reading their lines something else was happening so you know the moment the moment I was holding somebody's palm like images and and words and sensations were kind of flashing in in my mind body system um and I just trusted them you know I kind of played with it it seemed a bit strange um and then as a teenager 
when I went to parties and I was feeling a bit of an outsider, I would just do my party trick, which was to read palms. And it's, you know, it's a great way of breaking the ice without, you know, revealing that you're actually really nervous or shy. Um, and so I got to really practice it and, and to practice my intuition. And um, when I was 19, I spoke to my, my grandmother and said, look, I really love astrology. I really want to study it. I mean, that was what my passion was. Um, but, you know, my parents were like, we'll, we'll support you to go to university and get a degree, but we won't support you to study astrology. Because, I mean, I can understand why. I mean, it just seemed a bit weird. But my grandmother just gave me some money so I could do a correspondence course um, on astrology. And so I just did that, um, you know, behind the scenes. So um, I worked in tourism. I worked for two and a half years for a um, for air tours. And, and then just because of, like, speaking, you've frozen <laughs> I'm so sorry I'm back again <laughs> I don't know what's going on with zoom today um, <laughs> so um yeah so uh, um I yeah. So, um, yeah, I was just following my nose, really, and um, studying astrology and working for like campsites um, and, and doing it behind the scenes. And, and then eventually I moved back to the UK um, and got work in a bank, which really wasn't me. But it was an international bank and I could get a mortgage and things like that from my then partner. I was in a relationship for 11 years um, and, you know, had a very, very normal life, but it just wasn't, it wasn't really calling to me. Um, and the astrology was something I did behind the scenes. I did it, you know, it, it was my go-to, um, you know, so if it's somebody's birthday, I would draw up their chart, but I, I just didn't have the confidence to, um, to make my living that way. Um, and, 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 you know, in that time, I also studied hypnotherapy, um, NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, Reiki, worked with crystals, all sorts of things. So I was always doing it behind the scenes. Um, yeah, and um, that relationship didn't work. Um, by that time, I was working as, um, as a freelance trainer because um, I love like coaching and guiding um, and I have my own business. So, you know, that's like cutting forwards 11 years. Um, but I just, none of it was really grabbing me. Uh, you know, I had a great freelance uh, sort of business, I guess. Um, but I just wasn't very at peace. And so I jacked it all in and, um, or kind of put it on ice and newly single. I went and lived in Bali for the best part of nine months, loved it and, and was determined that that was where I was going to live and kind of work in Singapore and kind of flip between the two. And um, on a trip back to visit my parents, I met my husband, who's <laughs> British, um, and then just ended up staying. So, you know, the idea of going back to Bali was shelved. But I met Carl, who at the time had this um, radio channel called the Barefoot Broadcast. And so he he dealt with um, people that were healers or coaches. And, and so he celebrated it. You know, I was one of the guests on his show. And um, we hit it off. Um, we conceived a child very quickly and um you know uh whilst sort of phasing out my consultancy work I was you know he encouraged me to you know pick up the threads with my astrology and and yeah since then I've just been practicing I think you know if you've got a skill 
put yourself in an apprenticeship, which is what I did. I just worked for free for many years, um, just practicing and getting feedback. And then, you know, after a while, you, you just build a, it was just a really simple and elegant process. You know, I just did what I loved and then said, okay, I'm now happy to take donations. And then I'm, I'm really happy to work with people on a monthly basis. And it's just grown from there. And, and now I've got more work than I can cope with. <laughs> but it's great. Fantastic. And um, do you want to explain to people what a session looks like with you? Because I know you do so many things. You even do stand-up um, Q&As to live audiences. But I believe yeah. you help people in every area of their life. Mm. Yeah, um, uh, like my actual paid work, because um, I, I, um, I, like you, I, I do shows and interview people that are you know, doing great things, you know, people who are, are trying to uplift humanity. So that, that's, I consider that to be my work as well, but it's not my paid work. I don't get anything for it. However, um, I get so much satisfaction and pleasure and I learn so much. So to me, that feels like another apprenticeship that I've put myself under, you know, uh, as a facilitator. Um, but with my actual sort of coaching work, um, I most people I work with, I'm working with on a monthly basis because um, for a lot of people that contact astrologers, they're looking for a first aid astrology session, you know, like they've hurt themselves and they want to know the next step. And so I, I'm very happy to work with people like that um, because we all have these emergency situations, don't we, where we need a bit of guidance. Um, but actually, I prefer to work with my clients on a monthly basis so that um, it's, it's really a relationship, you know, so they're always like saying, OK, this is where I'm at right now. Um, and this is where I want to be. And so each month I'm giving them a 20 minute update based on their chart um, and kind of describing the month ahead and, and what they might want to look out for, um, how they might want to focus to achieve the goals that they've expressed to me. Um, and in that, I can look out for their family, their friends, their business, um, launch dates. So <laughs> like um, I've got a couple of people that I've worked with who use astrology and coaching for their um, investment portfolio, which, you know, I'm not a financial advisor and I don't claim to be. However, based on their on their details, um, you know, I, I look forward for them in terms of their investments. Um, and yes, yeah, so I, I was doing that for quite some time um, with other people who've like I've got lots of small business owners on my books, mostly women um, and all around the world, really. But there's, there seems to be a lot of people right now um, on my books who are in America. And so it's these small business owners. So for a lot of people, I'm looking for launch dates, helping them with their staffing issues and, and things like that. I've got quite a few mums as well, obviously, mums and dads, I guess, and helping them. So um, I, I give a, a broad spread, but ultimately however i'm helping them on on a monthly basis most of them are also on a spiritual journey so they're all um we're all in it together we're all kind of learning together and um for me one thing i've learned is is to be unafraid to to say okay this coaching relationship it, it's time to end now you know um because one of, the, one of the things I've realized in, in this last eight months or so is we are all expanding together. And so everyone that I'm working in connection with, if they're not openly expanding, then at some level, the rest of the people that I'm coaching, we're all kind of being pulled down. My resources have always got to be 
going up and up and up so that I can support my clients in the same way. And so I, I just think we're all on this up. Um, and, you know, with people who seem to be going the other way, um, <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a, it's not, I don't want to get into a battle or anything, but it, to me, it just feels like we're in it together and, and um, we're all rising with the same tides. Um, so I think anyone that's not in that kind of vibration seems to drop off themselves or sometimes you know, I might need to have a, a conversation, but I'm really, really fortunate. <laughs> so that's like my paid work. Um, but mostly I work remotely. So um, during that time, I was looking at people's astrology. Um, but I guess in the last nine months or so, um, as I look at the birth chart, it kind of speaks to me. It, it, it's like, I don't know, I, I almost feel like I'm being pulled into it. And again, like when I was holding palms as a child, images, sounds, vibrations, it all comes to me and I get this very um, rich picture um, and I get a lot more information than you could really get feasibly with a birth chart. So um, it's kind of like a channeling thing. Um, and it, I'm also putting myself through another kind of apprenticeship as well. I'm doing every two weeks a live show um, with a very competent, very experienced channel and so we we like every two weeks we do a show where anyone can ask a question and we both tune in so I guess I really believe in um being responsible for my own education and and putting me myself in those positions where I have to learn you know it you know when you're doing it stand up you have to participate um, I guess I think all learning starts with a willingness to stand up and say, okay, here I am. <laughs> You've got to show up. Um, and that's kind of how I am, really. <laughs> that's brilliant. And, you know, such great advice for the listeners and anybody who wants to start a new business. And um, for people in school, what would you say to them that are going to careers advisors now or they want to start um, looking at what they want to do because like you said you didn't know what you wanted to do I didn't really know what I wanted to do um, yeah we both had the courage to say no I'm not doing that to our parents and go on yeah pathway, but not everybody can do that mm -hmm. it's tough I think I think for a, a short while if you're really not sure um, I think earning money is important um, not because um, I like the ideas of what money brings or anything like that, but it's a, it's a, an energy of exchange. And I think it's, it's okay to have abundance. You know, it, it's okay to believe that you need to have abundance or that we can attract it. So I think it's important to get a job, even if it's not necessarily the right job, but also to have something on the side. You know, if you have a hobby, if there's something that really pulls you, that doesn't seem to be um, an actual career, I think you, you've just got to develop it and, and be of service. Um, I mean, I don't suppose that's the only way of doing it. I mean, I, I do know of people who've got their own businesses who've just been invested in, you know, they've had people believe in them and given them some investment. And um, for me, it's worked to just do things for free until I'm confident to receive donations um, or, or ask for, for money. But I think the most important thing is to just, believe in yourself and give something a go I mean we are living in these fantastic times I mean I wouldn't want to be at school right now I don't think um being told that there are sort of like these kinds of careers in front of them because I've always found that um it's a very rational place you know so like the kind of careers that you might be sold are these 
um, places where you go and you work for somebody else. I don't think school is necessarily teaching you to work for yourself. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it may have, it may well have changed, um, you know, in the last um, 30 years or so, but um, you know, having spoken to a lot of people, I don't think school really teaches you entrepreneurial skills. You know, it's, it's not teaching you to be an entrepreneur or um, somebody who works for themselves. It's teaching working for another person. Um, and so I think you have to get out of that mindset if you're going to put yourself out there. I think be around as many people who work for themselves, who have I mean, I've busked my way forwards, I guess, oh. when I was in Bali. I mean, I, I was actually working as an astrologer and a coach and a hypnotherapist in Bali. I mean, legally, I wasn't allowed to, but I was kind of doing it on the side. Um, but you have, to, you have to be prepared to just do that. But we are now living in the time where people aren't buying products as much as they're buying services. So this whole time at the moment is, is geared to people who have um, a unique knowledge set you know who've got a, a unique perspective who have something to offer people who have a potential solution to people's problems and if you've got an inventive mind a curiosity a genuine desire to help people with their problems then there's a whole world of opportunities ahead of you um that's that's my advice i think just show up show up as who you are and everything will fall into place and yeah, you might need to have difficult conversations with your parents or people around you. I mean, my first partner, his family were deeply religious and um, I think didn't, you know, probably had some thoughts about what astrology was and, um, you know, the role of guides, you know, like uh, people have their own ideas. And so that did put me off expressing myself. And so I guess at some level, if you're in the wrong relationships, that will become apparent as you start to vibrate who you really are and as you stick to your truth the real relationships come to you so it, you know it might cause a bit of um disruption um as you like your vibration changes but I, I just think that's the whole purpose of life um you know is to to vibrationally sort of emit who you really are so <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah. helpful at all. <laughs> no, I think that's really good advice. And a lot of people go through life not knowing who they are. And, yeah. you know, they're living in their disempowered belief systems and not willing to look inside. Some people are stuck in their misery and they get secondary gains from it, you know. Yeah. So, and they don't realize if you let go of these disempowering beliefs like you be stepping into your power and you would be glowing and shining and the happiness that you would find is going to far outweigh the secondary gain from being, yeah. you know, poor me, the victim role, for example. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it was good that you said that you let go of clients who are bringing you down and not in expanding because it's affecting the whole group because we're all interconnected and what mm. I do or say, you know, uh, affects everybody around me. So it's like um, throwing the stone in the pond and the ripple effect. But um, yeah. yeah, I truly believe that we're all here to be of service, whether it's to um, humanity, the planet or to ourselves. You know, we have mm. to definitely do the work on ourselves and we've 
with all these lockdowns and restrictions, we've all had the opportunity, but whether we've taken that opportunity is a different mm. matter. But, um, yeah. you know, um, what else would you um, advise, you know, during these uncertain times? Um, well, I really, I really want to go back to what you were saying, Beverly, about secondary gains, because I think that there's something very compelling in that. And, and like, no doubt you, um, I've had to battle my secondary gains, you know, like becoming aware of, of what, what you're gaining from staying put or staying in a particular pattern is, is really important. Like I, um, I loved smoking for years and years. <laughs> like we just smoke sometimes two packets of a day, you know, like 40 cigarettes a day. And I can't believe I ever did that, but I did it for years. Um, but I, I think at some point, like when the secondary gain becomes more painful than not having it in the first place, that's when real change comes. So um, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm becoming aware that I have um, an energetic system or problem or habit that is not good for me, I, I will sometimes indulge in it more so that I get bored of it, so that I get absolutely tired of it. Like actually some of the times when I've had a pity party have been absolutely perfect for me. So I've taken myself further down the spiral, you know, and, and, and kind of gone down and round and round. And I had to really get actively involved in disengaging from life to realize actually I want to re-engage. And so I think one of the dangerous parts is where our secondary gains just become second nature and we don't question them. Um, and that we just get really happy to live in this kind of little bandwidth. For me, the, the lows have been really, really necessary to show me that um, actually this is not where I, I need to be. So I've really, I've really learned a lot from the polarity around me. Um, and, and I think, getting bored of yourself, getting bored of your complaints, getting bored of your problems is one of the best ways of, of, of raising up. Um, so that's, that's kind of my experience. And, and I think, yeah, it just gets too painful to stay like that. Um, and I think that's when real change happens. And if, if you're not feeling the pain of um, how you were, then I don't think that, that um, change is ever that lasting, you know? So for instance, you know, when you make a change um, and it feels good initially, but then you soon forget why you made the change. And I think that's when a lot of people lapse back into unhelpful belief patterns. So I actually think that trauma is one of the best, one, one of the best healing um, things that can happen to us, you know, cause it really separates us from a previous, you know, it really, it really gives us that problem so much that we cannot forget it. Um, so I'm very wary of um, people. I know I, I've sat on the fence many times, but I, I now am very wary when I'm being very bland because when I'm being bland, I'm not really actively um, engaging in living, you know, a future or a present of joy. You know, I, I have to, I have to be really conscious about that. Does that answer your question? I'm not sure if it does or not. <laughs> if I hijacked it. <laughs> it's okay. You covered a lot there. And um, I know you're a busy mum, so I'm not going to keep you much longer. And um, before fun. you go, I'm just curious how you juggle everything. I know your lovely husband, Carl, 
pops with the homeschooling, but you're doing so many things. How do you juggle? Yeah, um, yeah, and you did want me to mention something about homeschooling, didn't you? Um, yeah. I mean, we both work from home. I mean, this, I mean, the way we live isn't really the the normal way that people live. I guess you know, most people go to work every day, Monday to Friday, um, and the kids go to school. Um, and early on, like when Carl and I first, you know, had our first child together because um, he's got two big ones who've gone through um, education you know one's in her 30s and the other's in her 20s so you know one went to university one didn't um, and and so my husband has experienced children going through all different <laughs> routes of education um, and he's very open to that um, when we had our first child he had um, a job that gave us accommodation so we had the luxury of me not needing to work but most most families need two people to work one to earn you know the what what's required to pay for the house and, and some of the bills and the other to pay for the food you know I mean it, it usually takes the input of two people but we had the luxury for five years of um, me just earning a bit of pocket money here and there and so that was perfect for me practicing with my business and not needing to go out to work straight away um, when when he was when we were in that position we were already thinking we don't want to have to work every day and so when we started devising a plan like we wanted to be somewhere warm where we could grow vegetables and we wanted to be somewhere where it's cheaper to live and so we became we decided to become economic migrants we realized we couldn't live and work and homeschool in the UK it wasn't going to be possible for us to do that um unless one of us was earning a load of money working part-time and neither of us were in that position and we're not now you know we earn we earn more than we need which is great and we both work part-time um and and we're lucky that we live in Portugal where it costs less we don't need to heat our homes as much that's going to be a huge issue for people in the UK right now um and we can grow lots of our vegetables and, and our fruit and stuff so the whole lifestyle is premised on us being at home um, and the, the marvelous thing is we can be at home. And, and so Carl and I are swapping. Um, w w this is the hot seat. So um, in an hour, he's going to be doing his live stream um, and he's going to be here for a few hours and I'll be with the children um, and then we'll swap over and I'll do my three or four hours work. Um, sometimes I work in the evening and then literally from midday we go out as a family and, and we're learning and experiencing life. So we always manage to have a good five hours, all of us together. Um, and also we both kind of go off and do our own thing. Um, and I was very nervous about homeschooling because I haven't come from that background at all. Um, and so I have to really battle my own sort of programming, the idea that when you're this age, you should be able to do this and of course I did well at school but the biggest thing for me is is recognizing that my children will only learn something if they want to and until the reason arises in them that they need to learn something I would have to sit them down and bully them to do anything um, and I, I actually think that is how it is in school uh, the bullying from the teachers <laughs> the uh, actual system might not be that apparent but you know, when you're sat in a class with a load of other people and then, I mean, that's an unusual situation to find yourself in anyway. And we've kind of described it as it's really natural for all people of the same age and the same experience level to sit together and learn together. Where in nature do you see that? You don't because it's not the most effective way to 
to develop people the most effective way to develop people is in 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 naturally like you know in natural families you'd have an older child a younger child aunties uncles and people with lots of diverse experience and so we try and give our children as many sort of like um experiences where they're with people of different experience levels ages where they're learning from each other and it wasn't really until my son, I, I was trying to teach phonics and, you know, I've got all these flashcards. So, I mean, when we came over to Portugal, most of what we packed was actually homeschool resources. And I tried to play with them religiously with my, my eldest and he just wasn't interested, but he was really fascinated by Pokemon and he was really fascinated by computer games. And, you know, a lot of homeschooling parents will say, want to watch that screen time you can't do screen time it will rot their brains but actually when I allowed him to do what he was interested in he wanted to learn about the characters and all of a sudden he wanted to play with other children and um, to do that he needed to read and I I, I cannot like I, I it sounds unbelievable but literally within about three weeks he was reading and he taught himself I mean obviously I'd sown the seeds because I'd had flashcards and tried to do things but um you know sometimes there might have been like two or three weeks between us using flashcards um and so it's just a vague and distant memory but all of a sudden every one of his experiences in life you know where we've been at cafes and he's seen words and he's not read them but he's just seen words all of a sudden everything started to make sense and of course got like foam letters in the bath you know for the wall tiles and things like that so they can play and make letters and make words but the biggest thing that I've learned is until they're ready to actually use the skills they're not going to learn it organically but when they are then the organic learning takes place and it, it takes place really rapidly um it, he 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 reads like when he reads it, it, like at school in England and I'm sure you will remember um we learnt like short words first and then we started to learn longer words and we started to put them together and it was uh, I remember reading like Meg the Cat and you know these like really boring books and and that was what was deemed interesting or relevant for the age group but when he started reading he started he didn't start with these small words much as I mean I was trying to force him into those books but he just picked up something and because he learned to read it himself he was reading long words and complicated words as well as the small words at the same time. And he could do that because our brain is brilliant, but we're not taught that at school. You know, we're taught that actually learning has to happen in these really tiny bite-sized chunks. And it, it's only possible in this kind of space. But the reality that I've observed with my son, my daughter's going through the process right now. She's ready for it. My three-year-old who we've not taught any letters or words or anything to he's learned from his older two and and from bath times with the foam letters we were driving through town last night and he all of a sudden said s-t-o-p stop and we were just driving and that's the first thing that I've noticed he's he's read and we've not taught him anything but it's arisen in him the need to understand what that sign is and to recognize those letters and to put them together but he's observing what's happening with his olders um but of course if you're all sent to school straight away the kids aren't 
interacting with each other as much as mine are you know mine are always together um so yeah there are some differences in the way they're learning and it's still an experiment um, I have these moments of thinking is this the right thing but um for now I think it is but it's it's a bit frowned upon yeah. you know the government's yeah. not really doing anything to support it I, I actually I know you're talking about homeschooling being quite popular in France but, and in recent homeschool groups um I've seen um people from France saying they're trying to wipe it out you know they're trying to force um children all to go to school it's very easy for governments to say um because it's a bit political um you know to say if you're at home we can't check that your child is safe and and so there's safeguarding issues and that's one of the biggest tales that you hear amongst homeschoolers is that the governments are saying you know we have a right to make sure you're not abusing your children and and where does where does that line you know, where's that line between parents having the authority to look after their children? You know, where is, where's their responsibility? So it's a really funny one. It's blurred. Um, and I understand the need to protect children. I also under, understand that there is a, a bigger agenda going on whereby governments recognize that when people are raising children to their own standards in their own way, that represents a threat to the organized story. So it's a bit of a political thing and we kind of, we're not active. We're not active in groups saying, oh, look at us. This is what we're doing. We kind of just quietly get on and do what we do and we're feeling our way forwards. <laughs> well, so there you go. Well, I wish you good luck with that and we could talk about that for a whole podcast alone. I'm so sorry. I really could. <laughs> I know my friends who homeschool are exactly the same and They've all brought up creative geniuses, which wow. children sound they're on their big pathway with a mother who's, you know, a channel and always loved nature. And, you know, you're living in nature. Um, yeah. you're, you're tapping into that energy field. We are one. I believe that we are all one. And like when we die, it's only our physical body and then our, our spirit or soul goes back to the universe. So, you know, we, we know everything anyway. It's just that <laughs> we're born as pure innocence, pure spirit. And it's, I, I, instead of coming to earth to learn, I think we come to earth to unlearn. But yeah, unless you get the opportunity, which is what you're giving to your children, to tap back into it and stay in that creativity. So that's where the magic mm -hmm. lies. I, I agree. Um, it, we have a, a magical opportunity here, you know, to unlearn and, and rediscover who we really are. Um, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, we're, we're unstoppable, our true authentic selves, you know, we, we are everything. We're connected to all that is. So on that yeah. note, darling creator, I'm going to put... <laughs> All your, because um, you've been on so many shows, you've got so many wonderful credits and you've got lots of um, feedback and, and I love the name of your website, thefeelgoodastrology.com. So I'm going to put mm. all these into the written notes to go with the show. And I'm sure the people who are concerned about money, they'll all be in touch with you asking you, <laughs> I invest my money <laughs> when you said, oh no, like, 
Oh, my husband was talking about it because with things affecting in the war now, everybody, mm. all the stocks and things are going down. So I wouldn't be surprised if you yeah. get inundated with calls once we um, <laughs> post this. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I, um, yeah, I haven't been following it myself so much, funnily enough. Um, the biggest, like we're going through astrologically, um, some of the biggest market changes that's indicating a massive crash at the moment. So if anyone's listening, I would say, and I, again, I'm really not um, a financial advisor, but I would say you're better off having things um, and tools right now rather than um, actual cash. Um, you know, you're, you're better off having a home or having access to fresh water or having access to good seeds um, because actually they're the things that are going to sustain you. Um, and if you've got all of that already set up, then play with um, money and um, and investments. But I probably wouldn't advise people play with investments unless they are highly experienced. And of course, I'm not just because the um, astrology of um, it all is really, really unstable and everything is indicating that it's just going to be a huge market crash. So um, I think it's time to get resourceful. (laughs) At the end of the day, (laughs) that's wonderful words of advice. So (laughs) get resourceful. I love it. Yeah. Well, the word is so changeable. As you know, I'm in Sydney at the moment and... We've had horrendous floods and, you know, yeah. when I was here two years ago, we had all the fires, the most horrific fires in the world. And, you know, the world is crazy in so many countries. And I think, you know, with the uncertainty of the pandemic, you know, everything, people are not the people they were yesterday, let alone two years. And people just have to realize that the jobs they once knew might not no longer exist. and. Now they've been given the opportunity to create a new life and decide to yeah. follow their passion and their heart. So, mm. yeah, I'm really grateful to have this conversation. I think because we could chat so long, maybe we'll have to book another session. Um, I'd love to come back and, you know, thank you for inviting me today, but I'd love to come back and talk some more because um, I think this is a really remarkable situation we all find ourselves in. Um, yeah, it's incredible. I'd love to have you on my show as well, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. on my show too. I'd be very honoured and blessed to be on your show. And uh, yeah. that, that's wonderful. Okay, well, have a magical day. And to all the listeners, be resourceful. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, everyone. And thanks, Beverly. Thank you.